Do sit down. So yes, I am from England. Um, this weekend I travelled all the way from uh, the east end of Pittsburgh where I live. Um, so uh, I'm the yeah, Director of Youth and Young Adult Ministries at Church of the Ascension. But in fact I'm at Ascension largely because of you guys, because it was when I was at seminary in St. Louis that I visited Alex and the wonderful folk of Christchurch, and I thought, huh, I like it around here. And here I am, four years later. So here's my question. Why does a new phone case make me feel like a new person? Well, that was the question posed to me and all her Instagram friends um, by a friend of mine uh, a few days ago. And there's this wonderful mirror selfie and very elegant white phone case with pink and purple um, lines. And my first reaction was, huh, yeah, I'd like to feel like a new person. Maybe I need to buy a new phone case. My second reaction was, oh, that's so shallow. I mean, how feeble is someone's identity if a $20 plastic thing from Amazon can be so transformative? Do people judge on social media? No, sure not. But don't we all long to be new? And isn't, I mean, that feeling of you step into a new home with the keys, or sit in a new car, new car smell, or you have some work done on the house, um, or start a new relationship or a new job. And in fact, my colleague and me at Ascension recently moved offices within Ascension. We have this new kind of office suite. And that's nice. There's something desirable about newness. Is that a good thing? Is it a God thing? Or is that just our market economy conditioning us to crave and consume the new, the new, the new? The desire for newness, we're going to pause that and then return to the big theme for this series about repentance and joy and generational repentance. So I have three children, Lydia, who is seven, was born in Oxford, um, John Victor, who's nearly five, born in St. Louis, and Beatrix was born here in Pittsburgh. And I would love them all to follow Jesus and grow up and be strong, filled with wisdom, with the favor of God upon them. I'd love them to have that... Um, that vision in the sort of hashtag parenting goals in Psalm 78 about setting their hope in God and not forgetting the works of God but keeping his commandments. I'd love to see their lives overflow with joy and peace and patience as they put their hope in God and not in how they look and not in what they achieve and not in what kind of social circles they move in because looks are very transient and achievements always inspire comparisons. And whatever social circle you're in, there's always an inner circle that you can feel on the outside. I'd love them to set their hope in God and not in these other things. But is that going to happen? Or are they going to live lives that match that other description in Psalm 78, reading a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God, instead of listening so me and my wife Jane and friends from church, are they just going to run off and do their own thing and give their hearts to be given to and possibly broken by all kinds of people and pursuits? And what is my role? And what is the role of the other Christians in their lives? And what is your role in the lives of the next generation? And here's my question. What can we do to encourage the next generation to set their hope in God? What can we do to encourage the next generation to set their hope in God? And I have three things that I've taken from today's readings that I'm going to try and do in 2019. And you may want to do the same. These three things are, 
Number one, assess the anger. I'm going to focus on anger. Number two, remember redemption. What does active remembering look like? And thirdly, embrace the new phone case. So number one, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, page 979, I believe. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. And Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus. First three chapters, beautiful, kind of glorious unpacking of the gospel. And then the final three chapters, well, what does it mean for us? Right now, he's writing to fathers. Chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Commentators like Robinson affirm there must not be a capricious exercise of authority. Nice phrase. Fuchs warns against unnecessary rules and regulations and petty correction. But let's go a little deeper and think about the underlying causes of anger. Let me ask you this. When were you last angry? And why? When were we last angry? And why? What was driving the anger? I remember a seminary class, counseling class, um, suggested that anger is a really helpful x-ray of the heart and our heart's desires. How so? Well, the mama bear attacks when the baby bear is threatened. Her baby bear. Or, if you ever read or seen The Hobbit, like Smaug the dragon roars when the treasure is stolen. Point being, think through when were you last angry and what was your treasure that was under attack? I put probably too much hope in my reputation for uh, competence. Probably um, treasure too much others' good opinions of me. And I can see that by assessing my anger. When am I angry? I remember driving once to preach at a church in England and... um, running a little bit late, and then I take a turn. I turn right, I should have turned left, and I found myself on a super fast road going in the wrong direction with no exits in the immediate future. A bit like the turnpike that I was on yesterday. And my response to realizing what I was done, what I had done, was to punch the roof of my car, and the, the sun visor thing fell off in my wife's lap, which was embarrassing. But it had me realize, wait a second, I care, I treasure so much this church and their leadership's good opinion that to be late is going to threaten that treasure, and I roar with anger because I'm, I'm responding to my treasure being threatened. I had set my hope, not in God, but in looking good. When were you last angry? And why? Assess the anger. Because we need to understand what our own real hopes are if we're ever going to lead our next generation to put their hope in God. The next generation. What does an angry five-year-old desire? I mean, is it a valid good thing, like kind words from their older sister and not teasing? Or maybe a less good thing, like an unnecessary plastic toy from TJ Maxx? (laughs) What does the angry 15-year-old desire? I was talking to one of the guys from our high school youth group, and he said last time he felt angry was um, he had asked his Spanish teacher to write a recommendation as part of his college application. And she said yes. And then, like a month later, he checked in with her. And she just changed her mind. It just wasn't going to work. And he was really angry. Why? What was it? What was his desire? Was it this vision of a successful college application? Was it 
He put his trust in her, and that being taken away, assess the anger. Because we are less likely to provoke children to anger when we know their hearts. And that takes listening and praying and paying attention and not being on our phones all the time and not overcrowding our schedules with the things that are driven by our desires. The time to listen, assess the anger, and maybe create new structures and seasons this year in which valid desires can be met. What can we do so that the children in our family or in our church family know that we know them? I mean, there's the famous phrase, you know, no one uh, cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Do we know people's hearts? Anger is a great moment to assess what's going on in their hearts. So what's going to help? Is it a new daily 10-minute conversation in the family? Or is it going to be like a weekly daddy-daughter date kind of thing or a monthly trip out somewhere? We need to know our hearts and our next generation's hearts to know what have we set our hope in. There are lots of good things we can hope for, but they can become distorting when they become ultimate things we hope for. I had cared too much about what people thought about me. And as we think about our desires and our relationships with the next generation, often we're reminded that our relationships with them aren't kind of what we want them to be. And that those desires are actually out of our control. What do we do then when our hopes are vulnerable? Number two, remember redemption. Second point, remember redemption. We're going to switch now to Psalm 78, verses 5 through 7. Psalm 78, the psalmist writes, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. So that, why? So they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. That's the ESV translation in your pew Bible. It's slightly different from your bulletin reading, but they're saying the same thing. So here's the point. We set our hope in God as we remember the works of God. Remembering redemption and hope in God go hand in hand. If we forget what God has done, we lose our hope in him and our treasure, our hearts, seek treasure elsewhere. The works of God. What did the psalmist have in mind? Probably the greatest would have been the Exodus, that great redemption, the slaves brought out of Egypt, set free, brought to be God's people and God's land to be a blessing to all nations. The psalmist could look back to the Exodus. God showed up, and we've got it. We've written about it. Remember the works of God. We can look back to God showing up in an even greater Exodus. God showing up in person, in Jesus. Remember Christmas and and the glitter. If through Moses God overcame the power of Egypt, through Jesus God overcame the power of Satan, sin, and death. Outside of Christ, humanity is still a slave to sin. Satan and death, no hope at the graveside, vulnerable to evil, subject to all kinds of addictions and unhealthy tendencies, alienated from God. But we remember the works of God. We remember redemption. We remember the gospel. I love the end of Mark's gospel where you have Jesus on the cross and is finished. And the camera jumps to the temple. And you see this, the temple curtain torn from top to bottom. This is God saying, welcome back. You're forgiven. 
alienation no longer. You can now be, in the words of Isaiah 62, the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. Christ died. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. I actually grew up a cynical atheist in the southwest of England. I became a Christian largely at Oxford when I was studying history, looking at the evidence of the resurrection and the empty tomb and the witnesses and the transformed disciples. Christ has died. Christ has risen. But the hope I have isn't just what happened in the past, but what's going to happen in the future. I love the end of uh, the Bible. Revelation 21, Jesus says, Behold, I am making all things new. And there'll be, you know, he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Our hope in God in the future is based on his works in the past. We set our hope in God, and the next generation set their hope in God when we remember redemption. We remember the works of God. We look forward to that day in which he'll make all things new. Bring that back down to this day. Imagine all right, there's something wrong with your house. It might be easier for some of us to imagine than others. Imagine there's something wrong with your house. Or maybe there's something wrong with your body. But tomorrow, it was going to be fixed forever. How would you feel today if you knew that what was wrong with your house or what was wrong with your body was going to be fixed forever? For those of us who live in a 100-year-old house in Morningside, character building, and it's a characterful building, um, that would be amazing to have all those things fixed forever. How would I feel today? What hope? What anticipation? What would be a reminder of me today that that's going to happen tomorrow? I could you know, look at a text from the contractor. I'll be there at 8 a.m. Or maybe an email detailing the work to be done. If we are looking for that hope for the greater tomorrow, when Jesus makes all things new, what do we have today to help us remember redemption? I mean, every Sunday we're full of reminders. The reading, the preaching, and the Holy Communion. But we often lose our hope because we forget. Or we're just not paying attention. And there are redemption reminders at home as well. So, um, a few weeks ago, at the end of our service at, a, at Ascension, my daughter comes towards me and her face is downcast and she's obviously upset. And I pop down on my knees and I kind of give her a hug. And I say, honey, what's the matter? She just come out of Sunday school. She's really upset. She says, well, I feel so ashamed. Why, why, why? She said, well, because one of the girls, who happens to be the daughter of a seminary professor, well, well she said that she was surprised I'd never read the Gospels by myself. I've just read the toddler Bible. I'm so ashamed. Anyway, so, uh, honey, that's okay, that's okay. So we, we're now reading Mark's Gospel together. We're like working through Mark's Gospel. We like snuggle up. Um, it's bedtime and I'm reading Mark's Gospel and she's reading it and we're talking about it. It's really interesting. And it's a lot better than putting the crazy two younger kids to bed. So it's a win-win. Um, so, but that's a, like a redemption reminder at home. We're just reading the Gospels and she's seeing the works of God, remembering the works of God. So my prayer is that she remembers redemption and learns the works of God, reading Mark's Gospel. She will set her hope in God and not what she looks like or her social circle or what she achieves. And that consequently, I can assess her anger. Is it a response to injustice or is she angry about something, some trivial treasure? So how do we encourage the next generation to set their hope in God? Number one, assess the anger, our anger, their anger. Where have we set our hope? 
And then number two, remember redemption. It's what God has done in the past. So we look to as we hope what he is going to do in the future, making all things new. And then finally, embrace our new phone case. Metaphor warning. All right, back to Ephesians 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. In the Lord. Paul sees and wants children to see an identification between their parents and the Lord. And that's challenging and scary. But also reminds us of something liberating. Because as Christians, we are given a new identity. Paul writes it about a lot in Christ. Famously, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So as we repent, as we put our hope in Christ and not in ourselves or our achievements or our social circle, to put our, our hope in Christ, we trust him, we receive this new identity in Christ, belonging to Christ. And in Christ, God's favor is upon us, just as God's favor is upon him. And my friend with the new phone case, you're like, cast off the old case and puts on the new case and people see the new phone. In Christ, God sees us and sees the new us in Christ, sees Christ. As we cast off the old case of our selfish desires and misplaced hopes and pray to Jesus and ask him to forgive us, and as we put our trust in him, we put on Christ and God sees Christ and the favor of Christ is upon us. The old has passed away, the new has come. So in Christ, We pray that his Holy Spirit would help us assess our anger and see moments of anger as actually an opportunity to reflect what is my heart's desire? What is the next generation's heart's desire? How can we talk about it? In Christ, we can pray that his Holy Spirit would help us remember redemption, hold on to the works of God so we can have hope for the future. And in Christ, we can pray that his Holy Spirit would help us each day wake up and embrace and live out our new identity in him so that our friends and neighbors and colleagues and the next generation can think, wow, these guys have put their hope in God. I want some of that. Better than a new phone case in an Amazon box, God has given us his very self in Christ. And as we come to Holy Communion, let's pray he will continue to renew us from the inside out. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank and praise you that you are the greatest treasure and that you have given yourself to us, that you never leave us or forsake us, that as we put our hope in you, our hope is secure. Pray help us assess our anger, help us to listen and pay attention and know the hearts of those around us and help us to remember redemption and point to you that many may ask us for the reason for the hope that we have. Pray this would be increasingly true this year. In Jesus' name, amen.